Hi, this is Kevin Oakes, the CEO of the Institute for Corporate Productivity, and you're listening to Leader Lab. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, thanks, David. Uh, well, my name is Kevin Oakes. I'm the CEO of the Institute for Corporate Productivity. We shorten that to I4CP. Uh, and we're a research organization, uh, really a network of companies, and most of the companies we work with are high-performing organizations, where we research the people practices of those organizations and delineate what are the top companies in the industry do uh, with recruiting, with engagement, uh, with talent management, and we uh, bring that research to our network. We don't have any uh, consultants or vendors in our network, so it's a very safe and easy place for practitioners in these companies to share information and uh, and get answers to their questions. Oh, and it's a it's a great site. There's a lot of great resources on it. I, I recommend I4CP. But today, I want to talk to you about. You're also one of the co-authors of a new book called The Executive Guide to Integrated Talent Talent Management. And I'll, I'll spin it to you. I kind of I like to ask authors what what inspired you to write the book, but I kind of already get that. I come from a, an HR and a leadership development background, so I'll, I'll spin it a different way for you. Why is talent management so important? Well, talent management is one of these terms that um, I tell a lot of audiences I'm personally a little sick of because I think it's been overused and misused uh, for the last several years. Uh, and that was really one of the reasons why we wanted to write the book. I think talent management as a concept uh, is a very important one for corporations and organizations of any type, uh, but it's probably been mo- more known for its failures than its successes. And so the impetus to write the book was to bring out some of the success stories from some of these high-performing organizations uh, and really talk about where a, a holistic view of people and an integrated talent management uh, strategy is going in many companies uh, in the future. And I think we did that very well by enlisting uh, both experts in the industry as well as practitioners from some of those successful uh, companies uh, to share their stories and really talk about where integrated talent management is going. And, and I, want to, uh, I want to specify on that. I threw the question out of talent management, but you, you added the kind of the key crux of it, which I think is the real good thesis of the book, and that's the use of the term integrated. Um, right. You have a great uh, preface to the book or introduction that sort of talks about the difference between talent management and integrated talent management. You use a lot of great uh, metaphors like too many, uh, too many soloists and not enough music. Um, talk right. a little bit about, about these silos that you say are developing in, in HR and, how, and why getting talent management integrated is so important. Well, as you can imagine, I walk into a lot of companies, uh, uh, you know, each uh, each quarter and work with their HR teams, and it's pretty fascinating in most companies how separate the groups are inside of human resources. You know, typically you have a separate recruiting function, uh, which is very different than the learning and development function, which is very different than the performance management function or the succession planning function. And not only do these groups uh, not necessarily work together or, you know, for that matter, they're, they're typically not even on the same floor or in the same building, uh, but oftentimes they don't even like each other. Uh, they fight against each other for budget. They fight against each other for attention. And what I think successful uh, integrated talent management companies have done is work to unify uh, all those different silos and take a very um, – you know, you, uh, unified approach to looking at people inside their company. 
Probably the best example I can give is on the recruiting side. If you think about what some top companies do from a recruiting standpoint, they put a lot of time and effort into making sure that they're bringing on the right personnel um, by putting that personnel through assessments um, and gathering a lot of data on that individual, both about their strengths, but also about their skills gaps or their weaknesses. And when we hire that individual, uh, typically all that data goes right into the trash. We don't do anything with that data uh, down the road, and we kind of start fresh with that individual, when in, in reality what we should be doing and what companies who are good at integrated talent management do is pass that data along to the learning function so that they can help address some of those skills gaps, uh, pass it along to the performance management function so that when the performance review comes up for that individual, uh, all that data is readily available, and even pass it along to the succession function. Uh, we, we tend to pigeonhole people uh, into the role that we hired them for when many times they had skills that they brought with them uh, that we're not necessarily using that could be useful down the road. Like maybe they know how to speak Mandarin Chinese, and you know that might not be something we need right now in the position they're in, but down the road that would be very useful to know that we have somebody like that in our organization. And until you database that that information, uh, you're not going to be able to leverage it for the benefit of the, the organization. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you tell a great story about um, when you started a software company and you had somebody pitch you the idea of creating an integrated talent management software. And you said in the initial, no, it wouldn't work. It, everybody's too siloed. It takes too much to get them to work together. But what, what do you think it takes now? There's some companies that are doing integrated talent management, management that are working really, really well together. What, what's different about those companies? What, it, what does it take to get them to work on all those functions together versus the traditional silos in the HR department? Yeah. Well, this is going to sound a little trite to begin with, but certainly senior leadership uh, buy-in to the concept is, is uh, very important uh, to making integrated talent management work inside of organizations. Uh, the companies where the CEO and the senior team uh, appreciates it, uses the term talent management, and spends time investigating how to best use the talent are the ones that you know tend to be very successful at this. But the way they get there, I think, is the key. And I've talked with a lot of very successful chief talent officers uh, who I think across the board have done a couple things uh, in common. One, they understand the business uh, at, the, at its very deepest levels, and they work with the different business units and departments to understand what it's going to take to make them more successful. What can I do to make you more competitive, make you more profitable, et cetera? And they build their talent programs around that. Second, they use data or analytics uh, very much to their benefit to showcase uh, how what they're doing has made some improvements, uh, but more so just to uh, have a measurement that they can work from. And that, that analytics or, you know, that data in an analytics form that the senior team is using uh, can feel like a lever to the CEO uh, to make changes in the organization. You know, how do I get my workforce to be more productive? Uh, how do I get my organization to be more agile uh, using some of the talent programs that, you know, the smart talent officers are putting into place is a way to accomplish that to ultimately get to what the CEO wants, and that's to grow as an organization. I'm a, like I said, I'm a big fan of HR. I kind of I teach it, so that's a little bit of the source of my bias. At the same time, I'm, I am one of those people that really believes that HR needs a seat at the table 
um, on the executive level. And it starts even just with uh, using the same, speaking the same language, and using yeah. that term talent talent management. I think is is incredibly important within integrated talent management. I think you guys do a great job of, of dividing it up and sort of addressing the silos, and then within the book, you then outsource it to a lot of a lot of scholars, thought leaders, and, and practitioners about how to sort of divvy them up. And the, the sections that you that you discuss are recruiting and compensation and rewards, performance management, success and management, engagement and retention, and leadership development. Talk, talk a little bit maybe about each of those and then how overall they can kind of work together. Sure. I mean, the, the way we came up with the chapters was to take the the common silos that people typically have in their HR department and then we recruited two people for each one of those chapters. Uh, one, a, a guru in the industry, uh, such as Peter Capelli and Dave Ulrich or Marshall Goldsmith or Noel Titchy, to uh, talk about that, uh, how that uh, particular silo integrates um, in successful companies that have, have done integrated talent management well. And then second, we recruited a chief talent officer, or sometimes it was the SVP of HR, to talk about what their organization was doing around that uh, particular silo. Uh, so we, the book is filled with just great anecdotes and stories um, from those, those different folks about what's working out in the industry today uh, and sometimes what's not working. Uh, you know, on the recruiting side, I can think of uh, Leslie Joyce, who heads up HR at Novellus, which is the largest aluminum manufacturer uh, in North America, maybe the world, produces most of Coca-Cola's cans, for instance. Uh, she talks about, on the recruiting side, she does a very simple exercise with managers. She has them take out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and on the left-hand side, at the top, write car. And then she asks some very simple questions. She asks those managers, think about your, the, your most recent car purchase, probably the car you drive today. Uh, how much time did you spend researching that car? How much time did you spend getting others' opinions about that car? How much uh, price comparison and, and shopping did you do around that car? And everybody writes down their answers. And then at the top of the next column, she says, now write people. Now think about your last hire and how much, uh, <laughs> how much time did you spend researching that last hire? Did you contact the last three supervisors uh, or did you just, you know, go with the references that the that the applicant gave you. You know, how much in, uh, inspection did you do? And inevitably, people spend a lot more time on their car than they do on their their new hires. And that that just led into a chapter about how important it is uh, on the hiring front to start off on the right foot uh, and and bring on the right kind of people inside the organization. I um, <clears throat> as I as I told you, I've been doing a, a book tour uh, for the last. A uh, couple weeks, or, or I should say, a couple months, and one of the stories I tell is from Amazon, where a senior executive uh, relayed to me that when you go for a, a position at Amazon at at a relatively senior level, you get set up with six people to interview. Unlike most companies, however, it's a go no go decision uh, at each step, and what they're really looking for is cultural fit. Uh, to begin with. And so that first person will look for cultural fit with the organization. And if they don't feel like it's there, you don't go on to the next five interviews. You just go home. And, the, you know, the second interview is looking for cultural fit within the department. So it's, uh, you know, it's a company that takes hiring very seriously. And I think that gets brought out uh, just in that one chapter around recruiting, you know, how critical it is to start out um, from a recruiting perspective. 
And now once you once you recruit them, you move into compensation rewards and performance management. Talk a little bit about those and how particularly I love the idea that once you recruit them, there's data there that can help you um, with the following, you know, with, with everything else down the line, compensation rewards, performance management, succession management, all of that. Talk about how yep. those play together and, and why getting those in line is so important. Well, on the uh, on the comp and rewards side, uh Carl Heinz Oler, who's the head of talent at Hertz, uh, writes the chapter from the practitioner standpoint and does a great job at relaying how at Hertz he's done a very good job of taking uh, the reward program uh, and comp program to really incent the behaviors they need at Hertz to be the company they are. And if you think about Hertz, with the majority of their business is renting cars, it's uh, you could think of it as a commodity business, yet Hertz is able to uh, command higher prices than most, and they do so because of the experience that the consumer gets uh, when you rent a car from Hertz. And so they have to work very hard at making sure that that experience is maintained throughout all of their workforce, and so they have some great uh, reward and comp programs to incent that behavior. And he's a big believer that unless you're uh, comping correctly and rewarding correctly, uh, you won't get the behavior you're looking for. You know, the same come, comes through in the uh, performance management section. Uh, Ed Lawler, who's a professor at USC, was our expert in that section. And he has some very funny lines about performance management, that too often it's something that the top tells the middle to do to the bottom. And uh, I think that's the way a lot of people feel about performance management, that it's something done to them. Uh, the performance review is uh, typically an unpleasant experience in a lot of companies. And it doesn't need to be. Uh, in some of the top performing organizations, performance management is a critical component. And the companies that uh, do it often and do it right, uh, it just becomes a fabric of their culture uh, and is something that really drives their culture. And so one of the companies that we featured that does that, I think, very well is Cisco. Uh, we had the head of talent management and uh, the head of their leadership center uh, author the chapter there. And, and they talk about how at Cisco, they... Uh, they have woven performance management into the fabric of what they do. Uh, they focus very much on what the CEO's goals are um, as part of that performance review process and have a cascading goal system where each employee understands how their job uh, is part of the overall strategy of the organization. Uh, and in many of these organizations that do performance management well, um, they don't approach it as an annual event. Uh, they they approach it as something uh, that is more quarterly in nature or or simply uh, more regular uh, as an organization where performance is relayed to the employee uh, on a consistent basis as opposed to this you know February event that we've got to get through and and be done with. Uh, you, you know the the book then continues on into uh, other sections such as engagement and. We had a great chapter written by uh, Bev Kay, who's uh, done a lot of books on, on the subject of engagement. And she asked a very simple question. Uh, when in an employee's life cycle do you ask the question, what's it going to take to keep you? And the answer a uh, 100 times out of 100 is typically when that employee gives their notice. Uh, so she's a big promoter of the stay interview. Why aren't we asking that question Long before the employee gives their notice, why aren't we asking our employees, what is it going to take to keep you here uh, and keep you engaged? 
And uh, she then goes into a description around some of the non-monetary things that a, a manager can do, because inevitably the first thing out of the employee's mouth is something that's you know, around their salary or around their comp that the manager might not be able to impact. Uh, but there's a number of things the manager can impact that doesn't have anything to do with compensation. Uh, and so engagement is, uh, you know, is a very interesting topic that, you know, typically we show high-performing organizations have a very highly engaged workforce, uh, and there are methods that high-performing companies use with their management team uh, and overall in their company to keep that workforce highly engaged. So those are just some examples, Dave, of uh, you know how integrated talent management can kind of uh, you know unite these different areas and some tidbits in each one of these areas that companies can take away, uh, you know, from these successful organizations and from some of these gurus uh, that they can implement pretty quickly inside their companies. And I and I absolutely love the balance. You've been talking about it. How each chapter has two assigned people. Um, and here at Leader Lab, we're, we're all about creating those scholarly practitioners. We're all about finding the empirical evidence, figuring out what the thought leaders and the, the I hate the term gurus, that's sort of my talent management term, but it's, it's still an appropriate one, what the, the thought leaders are doing. Um, and then also pairing that with what companies are doing uh, in line with that. And I love that the book does that. But tell me a little bit about that process and what it took to get, um, first off, some of the contributors that you got that are that are fantastic, Noel Tishy, Dave Ulrich, Marshall Goldsmith, and then also some high-level practitioners who are doing the very things these these gurus say, and it's, it's paired together. Tell me a little bit about that that process and what it was like to work with that duality. Dual- yeah, sure. Early. Um, and you're only hearing from one half of the team here. My uh, my partner in this was Pat Galligan, who uh, for many years has headed up the content area for ASTD, uh, which is the largest training association in the world and uh, the publisher of the book. And so Pat and I had our wish list of who we wanted to have from a um, uh, from a guru perspective, uh, even though you don't like that term, and from a uh, practitioner perspective. Uh, and um, I'm happy to say that we we really uh, you know we we almost batted a thousand um, uh, from each perspective on who we wanted to write the chapter and uh, and who agreed to write the chapter. Uh, you know I think each one of these folks uh, did it primarily because they love what they're doing and they wanted to support ASTD. And so it's important to note that you know neither Pat or I nor any of these authors get a dime from this book. Uh, the proceeds go to the association. Uh, so we all did it just out of, uh, you know, our, our love for the association and for the industry. Wow, that's, that's a fantastic note. I actually probably should have led with that. I'm a big fan of ASTD. Um, I have, uh, if you haven't been to, to a, uh, an ASTD conference, ASTD conference, I think it's one of the better sort of practitioner-focused conferences out there is their annual meeting. Um, and I, so I love the fact that the book actually supports them so you can you can learn a ton about developing leaders and, and engaging people while also um, supporting a great organization. That's a, there's a dual benefit there. I love it, um, Kevin. If it's okay, I want to shift the focus a little bit to you and to uh, I4CP now. Um, what are you reading right now? <laughs> uh, actually, I just got a brand new book uh, called Transformative HR uh, by John Boudreaux. Uh, John is a good friend, and he's on our board of directors for the company. So uh, I feel like every any time a, a board member writes a book, I better read it. Uh, so yeah. I've just uh, I've just started John's uh, uh, new book, and 
you know, I think John is um, a good example of the kind of folks that we work with on a regular basis. Um, as an organization, uh, like I said in the beginning, we don't have any vendors or consultants that are part of the organization. What we're really trying to do is uh, bring together some of the best thought leaders with the best practitioners. And, you know, there's a little bit of a gray area between who's a consultant and who's a thought leader, you know, when you uh, cross that line. But I think we do a good job uh, with our membership of talking not only about best practices out in the industry, but really about next practices and, and where things are going. And our data, our data brings that out. You know, as we look at uh, some of the practices of these high-performing organizations, we can certainly see what the bulk of top companies are doing. But often we'll come up with things that are highly correlated to market performance, meaning that companies who are doing these practices tend to be uh, very good from a, a revenue growth and uh, market share profitability standpoint, yet not a lot of companies are, are doing the practice yet. And we, we label those next practices and talk a lot about that with our membership. You know, where, where are things going in a particular area? Uh, the other aspect that I think is fun about our, our business is that oftentimes the right answer to somebody's question resides in the head of somebody in the network. So we've we set up an expert network um, of of people inside uh, of I4CP, uh, so that if you have a question around, say, strategic workforce planning or around uh, executive leadership uh, or any leadership development topic, uh, you can go out to the network and find experts in lots of different organizations uh, and connect with them and find out, you know, what are they doing around their uh, leadership development practices, for example. That's for our members. That's a lot more valuable than you know talking to a vendor or a consultant uh, about it, and uh, they you know they tend to really resonate with that business model. Yeah, I I love that that structure, and I'm a big fan of the term next step. But you're the first time I've heard that term as opposed to the best practices, next practices. I like that a lot though because I think there's some um, there's some merit to benchmarking and figuring out what the best companies are doing, but. To make it really a competitive advantage, I think it's to figure out what, if, how to make what the best practices are better, and so what those next step are, next steps are. And to do that, I know we'll be looking for I4CP. I get I get a lot of regular emails and research reports from my I4CP. I want to ask though, what's what's next for you, and what's next for for the the organization? What are you guys working on in the pipeline? Well, we've got, we've clearly got some good research uh, that we're working on in the pipeline. Uh, we we bring together um, smaller groups of our member companies to explore some of these topics in more depth, uh, and we call those groups exchanges. And so we just launched a new one around HR technology, uh, which I've been uh, a little bit more involved with, uh, trying to cut through some of the um, you know the hype that uh, typically exists. Uh, around HR technology and working with companies around how they how they can integrate talent management and use technology to their advantage, share that data across those different silos. Uh, what vendors have, you know, what types of, uh, of functionality, and uh, and also looking at things like pricing and and uh, uh, service level agreements and that sort of thing that typically you don't get a lot of information about out in the industry. So that's. That's one uh, group that we're excited about. We've got a few others uh, around topics such as employee engagement, uh, around evidence-based HR, which is just really using uh, data and analytics uh, to your benefit in, in the HR uh, practice. 
Another one that's uh, a perennial favorite is uh, on performance management, and we've uh, we've shown that things like force ranking and force distribution are on the decline uh, in organizations, and we really explore some of the best practices and next practices around performance management as part of that group. Uh, so those are some things just off the top of my head uh, that we're working on as an organization. I love it. I'm I'm happy to further any cause which helps eliminate the rank and yank system. I, I don't really understand it. And the nail in the coffin for me was when I, I started reading some of Boris Groisberg's research about uh, talent portability. And yep. the whole, to me, the whole idea of, of a rank and yank system, it, it relies on the idea that we can get someone better in there. But if the talent's not portable, then we just lost somebody and we can't guarantee that we'll, we'll get somebody better out, especially if, if not to throw this out as a phony plug, but especially if talent management isn't integrated and we don't have a good hiring system in place, then right. the, the whole thing falls apart. So I, That's like right. I said, I'm in favor of anything that eliminates forced ranking. Well, so you'll, you'll be happy with our research to show that it is, it is on the decline. We'll be looking for a lot of that research. We're always excited to see what you guys put out. The most recent big, big project, the Executive Guide to Integrated Talent Management, is out now. You can learn a lot about next practices and really the best moves for uh, talent management, integrating talent management, leadership development, engagement, all of that, while supporting ASTD, because as we all learn, the proceeds go to ASTD, and I love that element. So, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Happy to be part of this, David.